stop kids out there if there are any kids who, who watch our stuff and coaches stop letting people check their cell phones during practice breaks be completely done with that that is when your brain just starts to get pulled in another direction and you lose focus and it to get back into whatever you just checked on instagram now you start thinking about that your brain locks onto it for five ten minutes whatever it is all of a sudden now you're not focused on volleyball again and it's going to take you five ten minutes to get back into your volleyball focus so you've got to stop paying attention so much to your phone it sucks that volleyball players now like me you know if, creator or a person who has a channel you want to update people you want to check on them if you guys kind of notice my tournament days i post the least out of any other day like you'll see me like going ahead on instagram and, and making posts and sharing stories but when you look at my feeds during tournament days that's the least that I post because I'm trying to conserve all of my energy and you guys have to figure out a way to do that too. So when the tournament's taking too long, have a plan, go off site, walk away, sit in an air conditioned car, make sure you have shade, make sure you have a ton of good food and lots of water that will help you save your energy. Okay. And ideally you have a tournament director who has a schedule who can tell you approximately when your match is, but if they don't, you just got to check in with them or check in with somebody back at the tournament who can help you out. But you got to find a way to stop leaking energy. Welcome, everybody, to the Better at Beach podcast. My name is Mark Burek, and today we are going to go over the Panama City qualifier and what the season looks like, what it was for me personally, and how, you know, some lessons I learned that can help you guys prepare for your tournaments and to, you know, face some kind of struggles because uh, I dealt with a couple during this tournament and before this tournament, but managed to take a third to take a third and was pretty happy with the way it turned out. That's everything we're going to go over today. We're going to go over tournament preparation. We're going to go over how to keep your head, prepare your body, how to fuel, and when situations aren't ideal doing the best to keep your head. If you are out there in Instagram, thank you for being there. If you want to get involved in the conversation, come on over to YouTube or our Facebook group, Volley Chat, Volley Chat on Facebook or YouTube, the Better at Beach Volleyball channel. And guys, I would love for you to get involved in the chat. I'm going to use the chat overlay today since I am all alone. And I would love for you to say hi and let me know how it's going as we talk about so let's start at the beginning. The AVP season this year is different than it has been in the past. That means that there are qualifiers that are off site and different weeks from the actual tournaments. Historically, most of the qualifiers were at the tournament site in the same week. Now, this I, to me, this throws a wrench in some of the players' plans. First of all, because the last two years, two and a half years, we had COVID and the points got kind of messed up because there were only three tournaments and then there were some AVP next and then AVP next golds and people had points from previous years. And I don't envy the job of the guys at the AVP America for trying to sort out some sort of point system that rewards the people who have been successful in the past and is still fair, but they did their best and the point shook down and they created a point system that I'm really not even sure if I understand. So I'm not going to go that deep into it, but still for some of the tournaments like the one coming up in Austin, 
which I believe is an AVP Pro event because there are three tiers now, Tour, Pro, and Gold. Below that, which I did not know, is an AVP Next. So this tournament in Panama City Beach that just happened this weekend, we are in it's April 13th, so it just happened this last weekend. This tournament was an AVP Next event. So it doesn't count as what the AVP considers uh, their Pro Tour, but it was a qualifier for the Austin event, which is very important. So 10 teams get automatically into a traditional tournament. There are 16 teams allowed in the tournament. 10 teams get automatically in by their combined points. Pick a player or a teammate that's got enough points to put you in the top 10 in the country. You get automatically into that tournament. And I heard today, I'm going to double check this because I'm not completely sure. Somebody out there can let me know. But I heard uh, that by getting that entry into a pro event, the last place essentially earns you $700 per person or $1,400 per team. Now, they also cover, they give you a little travel stipend and they also give you uh, hotels. So that's nice. And you get the $700. There's a small problem with this because in the past, the last place, 13, which would be last place in a 16 team tournament, that takes you would get 1000 bucks per team and then you get the travel. This year, they, they kind of spread out all of the prize money and said that they have 16 events but there has always been this amount of money available for volleyball players it might just not have been under the avp flag under their logo so they're going to a bunch of new markets which is great and they have 16 tournaments which is great but there is kind of a problem in that they have more events the same prize money that always was, and now there are qualifiers that are off-site and different weeks. Now you can earn money in the qualifiers, and you can always earn money in the qualifier because that puts you into the pro event. But essentially, for players who are on the bubble or players who are trying to get in, so I've been historically on the bubble, like ranked somewhere between 15th and 8th in the country as a team for most of my career. This means that if you're playing a qualifier, instead of traveling once, now most beach volleyball players they have to have some sort of other job. They have to figure out their finances. And with seven or eight tournaments, which sucks, doesn't feel like a good summer, but you do have some of the amateur events, which are lower prize money, but you can still earn. When you have a few tournaments, only eight, nine, you have the other weekends or the weeks to be able to sort of recoup your money and work. You know, you get a job, coach, coach club. Uh, some people bartend, some people personal train, some people have tutoring businesses, everything. I run beach volleyball vacations, right? And have done a lot of coaching over the last seven years. But when you have 16 events or 17 or 18, you are taking over the whole summer. But if you don't add total prize money, you're really just doubling expenses, doubling time commitment, and the earning potential is essentially the same as it has ever been. So I'm not trying to rag on the AVP, but there's a problem when you're doubling expenses for players, for qualifier players. And yeah, we're talking about qualifier players. The top 10 people who are automatically into a tournament, which are considered professional, you know, they're still in the same spot. So it's okay for them. But for the people who are just trying to get onto the AVP, there are a few opportunities. It's not easy. The field is, is pretty deep on the men's side, even though it's lacking a lot of blockers. And and now you got to travel to two different cities to play one tournament. You know, you're trying to get into AVP Austin. Well, now if you do play in Panama City, you have to qualify there. And then you have to go to the Austin tournament. That means that you're giving up two full weekends. You know, you, you got to spend the entire Friday traveling. Plan on leaving Sunday night, getting back Monday morning, or even staying Monday night, which means that you're giving up one, two, three nights 
or three full days of work potential. That is going to put a hurting on a lot of the qualifier and bubble teams. I'm being really honest here. The amount of time that you're going to have to commit if you want to play on the, the pro tour and you're a bubble or a qualifier team now, it's, it's double the time commitment unless you can get onto the tour quick and get a few key wins and then get into that top 10 spot. So I don't know if that's going to change. I don't know. I don't have too many answers, but it's it's a problem when there are double the expenses, double the time commitment, and the total prize money has stayed the same. And there are still a bunch of the pro amateur tournaments uh, or big money tournaments that people can go on avpamerica.com and you can find them and, and try to shoot for the moon. But even for this one, like AVP Panama City Beach, to go there, it costs probably $400, right, for flights. Then uh, hotels were not cheap. So we'll say that mine costs maybe about 150 a night for me. So 150 times Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Now we're up to 450. So you're at 850 in expenses. Tournament costs 100, I think. So you're at 950 in expenses. And then Ubers or rental cars, you're probably somewhere around 1100, 1200, not yet including food, and you're not able to work. So 11 or 1200. If you take first uh, in this event, and you get to qualify. I think you had you got 3,400. And Logan Weber and Sean Cook, they did that, and they got 3,400 apiece, which means that they got 1,500, 1,700 on a, on maybe 12, 1,300 dollars of expenses. It means they're they're taking home 400 dollars. It's not even talking about taking out taxes. They gave you know their lives. They gave their weekend to volleyball, and they were the most successful team. Every other team, second, third, fourth or second, third, fifth, lost money. Qualified, yeah, that fires me up. But now, like, as somebody who's not 22 and doesn't only just think about the volleyball part of it and winning and beating everybody, uh, thinking about finances, yeah, I took a third place, which is pretty solid, qualified for a pro tour, but I had to lose money to do it. Now I'm going to go to Austin. I'm going to get 700 bucks to start and a travel stipend, which I think totals me at a thousand plus hotels. So that's all covered. You know, at least, at least now there I'm getting a thousand after losing some money here by taking a third. I'm hoping that the money can increase and I don't know where it's going to come from. And I really, I'm just hopeful that we can see a rise and that valleys can, can step up in a big way and, and show us a roadmap. That can go forward. Now, as far as the tournament organization, talking about like Panama City, not going to really sugarcoat it. It wasn't really run that well. John King and Wayne Gant, who have been doing it for years and years and are awesome. They didn't have a big staff. They didn't have a big team and they couldn't. Players had to ref their own matches to get into a qualifier. So you're putting a bunch of money on the line and your trip to Austin and the Pro Tour, you're putting that all on the line and then you're asking all of the players to referee for that. That should never happen. You should never have the qualifier for a pro event. You should not have players refing. You know, we had a discrepancy and I'm sure like we weren't the only ones, but we had some players, uh, women's players refing our match and they made a bad call and then we feel bad about arguing with them because maybe the women's game is set to a different standard. The men is, is set to a different standard, even though it shouldn't be. But either way, nobody's a trained referee. So now we have to argue and discuss things and really create a lot of tension with our peers. You know, the people on the on the other side where they're on the women's side. And then men are, are judging women's matches. And now we're looking at our peers who are shouldn't be involved in our 
future of professional volleyball, you know, the, the money that we can make uh, in terms of refing. So I really hope that it, this doesn't happen again this year. Uh, we got through pool play plus one match. So we got through in each pool, one, two, three, four matches in each pool. Uh, each team got through. We played two matches uh, in one day. And we had to play, if you win, you had to play five on Sunday. It could have been run better. It could have been run faster. And we're going to see, hopefully, more organization going forward. But the problem is, for all of you tournament organizers out there, I'm going to be honest, you must have somebody who is willing to be a jerk. A tournament director needs somebody. If it's not them, they need somebody on their team who is willing to be a jerk and point at somebody and say, if you don't serve a ball in the next 30 seconds, you lose a point, you forfeit the match, whatever it is. But uh, players, and a number of times, it got put on the players that, well, you guys are taking too long. Well, it's up to the players to push. No, it's not. You know, you can't say, like, a, a wedding planner is not going to <laughs> as much as they want. It's not their, it's not the, the bride's fault. It's not the groom's fault if a wedding doesn't go off. Right. It's up to the wedding planner to organize and make sure that that happens. And the same thing should happen with a tournament. Whoever is is organizing and running that event, they should keep things on the clock and keep things moving. And what a lot of tournament directors are missing is somebody who's hard enough on the players to say, you're done with warmups. You need to start right now. That started happening on the second day uh, of this Panama City Beach tournament. Good. We got, you know, people got through five matches and before sunset got through five matches. I hope, and th that's the problem, is that a lot of players turn into tournament directors, right? And so you want to keep friends. You want to be friendly. You want to be nice to everybody. You want them to come back to your tournaments. But somebody has to keep the tournament moving. And if people are just dragging their feet, you got to push them. You have to push them. As somebody who's finished, you know, at the end of a lot of open tournaments, I have played my championship match in the dark after sunset, one set to 28, way too many times. And it's all because, you know, everybody takes the long warm-ups, the breaks, people don't show up to their courts. But if you're going to direct tournaments, get somebody out there who is going to move the play along, move the warm-ups along. And that will be a great benefit to all the players. And then you won't have the, the best volleyball of the day. You won't have that being played in only one set to 28 when no one can see anymore. So now that my rant is over, that's some of the adversity that you'll face when you're getting into a tournament. Yeah, people will move too slow or sometimes they'll move too fast. And tournaments usually don't move too fast. But you have to be prepared for the inevitable downtime. Being able to sit around at a tournament and do something useful or go back home, go back to wherever you need to recover um, and take a rest. We knew, me and Dave knew that we had two hours, me and Dave Palm, my partner, we knew that we had two and a half hours in between our first and second match. We planned to drive back, you know, a mile and a half to where we're staying just so that we could get out of the sun. We could stop thinking about waiting. We could stop getting dehydrated by the you know, ocean air and the salt and the sand and by everybody who wants to talk to you. Everybody who wants to talk to you at tournaments, it's a family thing, it's a friends thing, it's fun, but I'm telling you right now that costs you energy. And that energy, the energy cost is going to take away from your playing. Now, a lot of us play socially, 
and really are, we are out there to make friends, make relationships. But if you're out there being competitive, you have to find a way to hide. You have to find a way to conserve your energy and not just allow other people to take it. They're not doing it intentionally because they want to be friendly. They want to be cool with you too. But you have to find a way to conserve your energy and people will continue to pull it from you unconsciously. This is something, again, where we talk about it. This goes way beyond volleyball. This goes in your life. People will pull your energy from you and they'll always ask for things. They'll invite you out. They'll talk to you. They'll call you. They'll text you. You'll be on Instagram. They'll tag you. This is Instagram is taking your energy consistently. Like right now, like I just pulled from a bit of your energy as you're on Instagram and you have to figure out how to shut things down so that you can conserve your own energy and so that you can be effective for a long time in your tournaments, in your training, in your playing. This goes in the weight room. This goes in practice. This definitely goes in tournaments. Stop kids out there, if there are any kids who, who watch our stuff, and coaches, stop letting people check their cell phones during practice breaks. Be completely done with that. That is when your brain just starts to get pulled in another direction and you lose focus. And it, to get back into whatever you just checked on Instagram, now you start thinking about that, your brain locks onto it for five, 10 minutes, whatever it is, all of a sudden, now you're not focused on volleyball again. And it's gonna take you five, 10 minutes to get back into your volleyball focus. So you gotta stop paying attention so much to your phone. It sucks that volleyball players now, like me, you know, creator or a person who has a channel you want to update people you want to check on them if you guys kind of notice my tournament days i post the least out of any other day like you'll see me like going ahead on instagram and, and making posts and sharing stories but when you look at my feeds during tournament days that's the least that I post because I'm trying to conserve all of my energy and you guys have to figure out a way to do that too. So when the tournament's taking too long, have a plan, go off site, walk away, sit in an air conditioned car, make sure you have shade, make sure you have a ton of good food and lots of water that will help you save your energy. Okay. And ideally you have a tournament director who has a schedule who can tell you approximately when your match is, but if they don't, you just got to check in with them or check in with somebody back at the tournament who can help you out. But you gotta find a way to stop leaking energy to people. And when it's rushing, when the tournament's being rushed, or you don't like that you have to like play right away. I always find this kind of funny, that people want to play. They play a beach volleyball match, which usually in itself isn't terribly fatiguing. And then they say, I just played, give me a break, give me 10, 15 minutes. And then they go and they sit there and they don't do anything. And then they need another 15, 20 minutes to re-warm up. They're not going to be better for that. The only thing they need is 5, 10 minutes to eat and stay on their feet. But that whole kind of rest between games it hasn't made sense to me. Unless you're towards, towards the end of the day and you're using it to get food, calories, and liquids in your body. Okay? You have to use that time. Now, let's talk a, bit, a little bit other than timing. How we prepare for a tournament, how we prepare our bodies. For me and for a lot of our Better at Beach coaches, we had 11 staff at our at our camp last week. It went off awesome. I mean, this was the best week. And we say it all the time, but this the closeness of the campers, people inviting each other, our coaching staff was huge and awesome this time. And almost every coach came to Panama City Beach to play this tournament. So we had coaches who were on their feet the whole week 
which generally is a bad idea. If you can try to get off of your feet and lower your volume, which means less repetitions, less jumping, especially later in the week, that's how you want to prepare for a tournament. That's what we did. Me and Brandon changed the schedule for our camp so that we had more training. The coaches were going to be on their feet more in the beginning of the week, which isn't typical. And then we only had one practice on Thursday and Friday so that our, our coaches could get off of their feet and could start resting and start their programming to get ready for the tournament. That's how you want to design it too. On Thursday and Friday, if you're playing a tournament on Saturday, you go super, if you're working out at all, you go super low reps, next to no time in the gym. Okay, Thursday is the last possible day that you can do like a 90 minute plus practice. Okay, Friday, you might want to be on your feet for a total of three hours if it's possible for you. And uh, this might be where you, uh, Sean Cook talks about this a lot, your CNS, activating your CNS or priming your CNS, your central nervous system. So you might get three or four repetitions of a very fast movement or a very heavy squat or a very heavy depth. But you only get one to four of them. So it's like four sets of one the day before that tournament. Okay, no volume. That's how you have to decrease it. And if you got to be on your feet, see, that's what we did. We did it as bosses, as camping, as camp organizers. We looked at the entire week and I said, how can we flip this week so that we maximize the energy for the coaches? If you're thinking about a tournament, if you're thinking about a competition, a big day, a day, a big day in the office, a presentation, something that you want to be great and high energy for, take a look at the whole week before and see if there's anything that you can move to early in the week because you have to block your schedule for rest and recovery so that you can be your best when you need to. And rest and recovery is an actively blocked thing. That means that you must schedule time. And if somebody says, hey, can you do this? Hey, can I go there? You say, sorry, I have a previous engagement. Get off of your feet. You can, even if this is phone calls, if you're the type of person like my wife, she seems to be extroverted, but she's actually introverted. So she's like super socially capable and everybody loves talking to her, but it exhausts her over time. So she'll need a few hours of reset after just a couple hours with people and talking and everything. So that's, that's where her recovery comes in. So if you're that type of person where being around people exhausts you, then you need to get your people time in the beginning of the week and then slow that down or minimize it towards the end of the week so that you can be great for your competition, presentation, whatever it is. Curbing your energy. Now for me, the next phase specifically for me was um, I, <laughs> personal story, I have gotten really good at knowing my body, at being able to shut it down when I feel tweaks and when I feel like little bits of pain, I stop. Um, I do less reps whenever there's a question mark. If I'm like kind of fatigued or I feel a little bit off balance, I'll drop the weight. I'm way faster to drop the weight now than I used to be. And I haven't, I've, I've had a really healthy off season. Felt great, felt strong. No injuries, no tweaks. I drove across the country three weeks ago. I was in California. I needed to spend some time with my wife who was in Mississippi, Mississippi. So I drove to her. That's, I don't know, 35 hours. Then drove up to Nashville for two days to train with Hayden and Logan um, and visit some friends, Jason Reese, if you're watching, hello. And then uh, me and Logan had to drive to Ozark, Missouri to run a clinic there. And then back to Nashville, then to Atlanta, where my wife was working again and where we had like a couple of rest days. And then we had to drive down to Florida. In the midst of all this, probably 50 hours across the country, you know, your body kind of shapes one way. I had my leg up the entire time, so I was off balance. And I ended up, while I was practicing with Hayden, I got a little, I felt like somebody stabbed me with a little knife in the top of my quad. 
And I said, oh my God, my first tweet, how did this happen? I can't believe this because I warmed up. It was at the end of practice. And then when I was talking to a physio, and here is something. I didn't just rest it. As soon as I felt the tweak, I found somebody where I was. I said, and so all my, luckily I'm associated with a bunch of stunt people who are pure athletes. So they know body workers. And I found a great one in Atlanta. And she said, your hips are shifted. Is there anything you've been doing? I said, oh my God, yeah, I probably drove. 50 hours across the country in one position. And then I tried to be athletic for two days. If I was doing this on a world tour, I would have known. I've taken that 12 hour flight to China or wherever. And the next day, I know I don't do anything explosive off of the plane. After a long plane ride, I never do anything explosive. Sometimes it takes you a couple days to unfold, to set your body right before you really go max. I didn't do that because I didn't feel like I was in tournament mode, but I was in training mode. So I paid the price for a long travel in a rough position by trying to be explosive after being in a weird position for a long time. Imagine people who work at desks a lot. You probably feel this a lot. You have to find the time to unfold yourself. All right, because I was sprinting to Mississippi, I really wanted to see my wife. Uh, because I was going there, I didn't think about that this was travel and that my body needed to stay in competitive mode. That's where I got that tweak. Then I was practicing on the first day, you know, I rested that. I found somebody who could help me. Uh, she massaged it out. She gave me a few exercises to rebalance myself. I said, okay, started feeling better. Then I get to the camp. Uh, I start rehabbing a condo. So not sleeping, not really resting, not recovering, doing a bunch of physical labor. And then on Monday while I'm training with the guys, that tweak was gone. But then something in my groin just popped again, just a case of being overworked. So my groin popped and... The second day on Tuesday, it was not feeling better. So in the last, on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I had four different body appointments. I had a chiropractor, three massages with cupping, um, and I had dry needling. And I went after the injury and I said, like, what do I do? I know it's not just about rest, but there has to be something that you can actively do. And so I called the chiropractors. I, I talked to the people who I knew would know good body people, pre-Lima, Optimum Volleyball. Thank you so much for your recommendation. The, the body people that I got recommended to really helped me out. I continued to do the exercises that I could do. So anytime I was not in pain, I said, okay, what exercises can I do so that the rest of my body stays strong and ready and it balances out this little injury that I had in my groin. Going into Saturday, I honestly thought that there was like a 30% chance that I'd be able to play, maybe 20. But I thought we can eke out a few wins. I thought I could utilize Dave's on two game and maybe, you know, we can get a few wins uh, enough to qualify. And who knows? You know, maybe it just wouldn't hurt. So I didn't practice at all. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, practiced. I passed. I set. That's it. Okay. So kept passing, kept setting, but didn't do anything. I did the exercises that I could and I backed off from that. Saturday, I couldn't push off because I didn't trust it. So I didn't, I didn't have any energy. Thank goodness the tournament took so long on Saturday and there was a little bit of disorganization because I only had to play two matches that day. So because I wasn't firing at full speed, because I wasn't sprinting, because I still didn't trust it, I didn't harm it. And Sunday showed up that morning, played a match. I was still favoring my one side. And then finally, in the second match of Sunday, I felt myself make a full speed play. And I knew at that point, yeah, my body's ready. It's saying it's okay. And that's probably what carried me then, me and Dave, to a third. You know, so I paid attention to my body, probably when it was too late after that long drive. Then I said, I'm going to take an active role in recovery. 
I'm going to find the best body workers I know, and I'm going to go see them every single day. And I'm going to do the exercises around that injury that don't affect it. And I'm going to keep my body ready by passing and setting so that my control is there. And thank goodness my control stayed because it was so windy in Panama City. When you guys have an injury, go attack it. Don't rest. Don't just sit and do nothing. I've always said this, but uh, when your car breaks down, you can't just throw it into the garage and hope that it comes out fixed. Right. And that's what people, that's how people treat injuries. There's a problem. There's a reason why that injury happened. So I spent a lot of those days doing exercises that reversed what I did to it in the cross country drive so that I could at least set the environment up so that it could heal in the right way. And it did just in time, had a decent tournament, and uh, we went for it. So I think that's really all that we want to talk about today is you need to curb your training before, before this, this tournament happens. You need to look at the entire week before. You know, if you're at a pro level, you'd be looking at weeks, months, and a full macro cycle. But if you can look at the week before and say, when do I have to go shopping? Because that's time on your feet, right? When do I have to go to like the post office? Can I do that on Wednesday, Tuesday, Monday, instead of Thursday, Friday? You want to be off your feet and saving energy. That's what we did for our coaches at Better at Beach Camp. And it paid off because we had a bunch of coaches finish uh, in the top five. So. Nice job. Nice job, Bab Squad. Uh, once you're done figuring out how to decrease your volume, if you do have any body tweaks or you have some type of injury, you have to make sure that your body is aligned. And if your body's not aligned or you don't know how to align it, find somebody. Find somebody, pay the money who can set your body up and say, look, your hips are shifted. I'm going to give you an exercise. If you are the type of person or your chiropractor, more important, is the type of person that snaps you, and then gives you nothing, doesn't give you an exercise to reset it, doesn't say, this is why this happens. So I need you to do this exercise to reverse it. If you don't have that person in your life, find them so that you can set your body in the right positions and that you can start fixing yourself. Massively important there. Then if there's pain, you work around it. You find exercises that you can do. For me, it was passing and setting. And I'm telling you, I wasn't even moving at 10% speed. Uh, when we had our coach practices at the at the camp. But I kept my control. I kept my touch. And if I was standing and shooting, at least I was practicing some vision work. When you go into the tournament, again, if you have a long travel day, unfold. Do the mobility work that we talk about so much. Okay, Unfold your body, get it primed, get it ready. Right? If you don't have to travel, it's cool. Make sure you're not on your feet so much. Get very short, very explosive reps the day before your tournament. Eat. Eat a lot. Most people react pretty well to carbohydrates. Okay. So carbohydrates are good when you have performance going. Now, I know some of you have diets and some of you want to, you know, um, redesign yourself, but if you need to perform, your body wants quick access to carbohydrates. So the night before I made sure I had a carb heavy meal, not a bunch of protein, and I overate. I want to be full the entire day. I want all of my stores to be like overloaded and full so that I never have a lack of energy the next day. Some people say like, well, I'm just going to have a salad the day before so I feel light tomorrow. Well, guess what? Now, by the time you wake up, all of your calorie stores, you're at like 50% accessible energy. You need to have that energy accessible. So you need to have a surplus of calories the night before. That doesn't mean eat like crap because then your body is going to be running on sludge instead of like good nutrients and, and fast moving blood. So don't eat crap, but 
find a way to have like carbohydrates. For me, I do like fettuccine Alfredo, but my body doesn't react that well to dairy and cream. And I feel, you know, a little bit bloated and gross the next day. So I find a way to stay away from cream and get a carb heavy meal. The morning of, uh, we had like 10 minutes to eat breakfast because we valued our sleep and we really wanted to sleep well. So we launched water and carbohydrates. We had a big bowl of fruit and a couple eggs and a tiny piece of bacon, right? But I wanted the access to carbohydrates. And then when it came to the tournament, I put all those guys in a box and I said, okay, during my meal, sorry, during my matches and in between matches, now I have easy access carbohydrates, which usually comes in the form of fruit, bananas, oranges. And if you have nothing else, any form of sugar will do when you're in a pinch. Okay. So the day of the tournament, day before, find something, right? Find something good. If you have nothing the day of the tournament, or you feel like you have nothing healthy to eat, still eat something. Make sure that you are keeping a steady flow of carbohydrates coming into your body throughout the day. That means pretty small meals on a regular basis. And even during the match, you should always have some form of bar or fruit or apple or banana with all of your water. That should always be in your bag when you're ready for that tournament. Save your energy during that tournament. Try as hard as it is. Try to hide from people. Find a way to, if you can go off site and just chill with like the people who you are calm with and who you know, those friends that you can be quiet with, right? And still be comfortable. Try to find them or just nap and just make yourself unaccessible by, by putting a hoodie over your head so that nobody bothers you and, and pretend to sleep if you're not sleeping. And uh, yeah, and the same thing that night, overfuel. Keep, keep the water and the fuel going into your body. You don't want big giant meals. You don't want a few big giant meals a day of your competition. You want multiple small meals. And Hopefully it'll lead you to some good wins. You know, for me and Dave Palm, we had not played together in five years, I think. And he's in Florida. I'm in California. Neither of our lives allowed us to, to travel and practice with each other. So the only thing, the first things we talked about were, I need you to define exactly your set. So before we before we started peppering, I said, hey, let's work on our set. So first of all, I had him set it. And I told him how many feet too high it was, how many feet too low it was, what all of my language meant. You know, for me, I like my set five feet from the antenna. And sometimes I know myself, I'll say push because I'm telling them the action that will get them to the five feet from the antenna. So I told Dave, I said, whatever I say, unless I say go, 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 or I say middle, whatever I say means set the ball five feet from the antenna and get me six balls above the top of the antenna. That's my set. His set was very different. His set, he said it was the top of the antenna, but it wasn't. Uh, his set was about three balls above the top of the antenna, still a pretty low set, right? Three balls above the top of the antenna. And he said he always wanted to be three or four feet away from me, no matter what. Once we got that down, we repped that probably 20 times each to make sure that we found each other's set. Then we talked about what we wanted in transition. So I threw him balls to the back half of the court and we talked about the height and the tempo that we would have in transition. What we didn't connect on really was the, when I dig a cut shot or a short ball, I like to run a fast tempo offense and I like to give him an open net. He wasn't quite ready for that in the beginning. He said he would be, but he wasn't quite ready. So I'd like to rep that out and talk to him. So instead of doing that during the match, which I usually like to do, I matched him. I said, okay, I'm going to slow down on our short balls and on our cut shot days. And then in between matches, we'll talk about it. Talk about it if you're ready to just jump and slap. And then for our next warm up, we didn't go through a full warm up, 
what we did was we practiced those scenarios that I wanted to be in control of. And I said, okay, let's let's work on me throwing it through your zone and you just slapping it to a deep corner so that we're ready to just tap it so we can feel how it how it looks. Feel what it looks like. And big congrats to Logan and Sean. They played awesome. I gotta say also Marty Lorenz and Caleb Pewell, who I just practiced today, they are looking good. Uh, I haven't seen Marty in a while. Thought thought he was kind of done with volleyball, and he is looking really good. And his young partner was, they were fantastic. I wasn't at full speed when we played them, but I mean, they cleaned through that tournament until they ran into Logan and Sean. So that no matter what, they're going to be a tough match. And I'm interested to see what they're going to do this year. So I'll look out for them. And uh, big congrats again to Sean and Logan. Just great guys. Really great guys. Our campers know it. They like, they're so nice. They're so giving of their energy. They're so willing to teach and they work hard as hell. So they certainly earned that win. Uh, they beat us. We couldn't get them out of system and they got us out of system a few times. And, uh, and Sean was shooting really well. Normally he's a big hitter, but he was shooting really well. So he's been working on his game. And uh, yeah, that's, that's all we got. So Austin, Texas is the next big one. And then there's a few more tour events and tour events qualify you for pro events so we'll see how that goes this year with the added expense and added time with no increase in prize money again i'm not super stoked on it but if we can touch more markets this year with the avp logo then maybe next year there'll actually be some increased money across the board that'd be nice to see guys for me that's all i wanted to talk about just wanted to talk about a little bit of tournament prep how to save your energy and uh, how to handle it if you have an injury before you go into your tournaments and how to try to prevent injuries. You know, have a good team, have people around you, talk to people who know your body. And if you're working with physical therapists or chiropractors or body workers that don't tell you what's happening in your body and where things are set up and how to reset them, then either have a really serious conversation with them and say, I need you to give me the tools every appointment to fix myself, then you can have control of your careers, right? You can have control over your tournament days, your practice days, and you can start learning more about your body, okay? But find that person in your life that, that can help you uh, discover, even if you think you know a lot, like I, th I, th I happen to think I know a lot, but because I didn't recognize that I was sitting with my left foot up the entire time I drove across the country, I didn't realize that I was shortening both sides, both hip flexors and my groins, and I had rotated my hip so that it was sitting still for, you know, my left hip wasn't moving for a week. And then I tried to be explosive. And, you know, it led to a little injury, but I was able to repair it because I talked to some smart people. And I said, oh, thank you for stating the obvious, even though it wasn't so obvious to me. Now I have the tools to fix them. So go ahead and attack your injuries and uh, work around them when it's safe to. And make sure that if you're, if you got a big event coming up, you find ways to conserve your energy and that means people that means your activities that means time on your feet and that means finding your schedule and looking at it way in advance and saying how do i shift my schedule so that i can load heavy away from the tournament and that i can relax into the tournament with full energy all right one more thing that i did want to talk about i've been known to get pretty hyped during tournaments or i felt a lot of hype in my body and i've started a few like a headspace meditation has, has helped me out a bit and if you guys can find as many moments as you can while you're playing to exhale and intentionally try to bring your heart rate down, 
you'll start feeling the excitement and like the love of the play and the love of the game, knowing that you're in the lead or knowing that this point's super important. But when you let that happen, your heart rate starts to increase and you get tenser and tenser and tenser. So you have to find ways to drop your heart rate, drop your breathing rate. I felt the hype building in me at a few points during my matches. And I said, Mark, slow down. This point, breathe, focus on this pass. And when I did that, I literally, I mean, I literally felt my heart rate drop and calm down and all of my touches, the next few points were smooth. And I kept reminding myself, okay, go back to quiet, calm confidence has been working for me a lot lately. And being able to exhale long, drop my heart rate and not allow the hype to continue. And that micro within plays where you get very excited, you get more and more excited as the play goes on right? You have to find that moment in the play to breathe. And then between plays, when it gets to the tight points in the game, to say, I got this. And I promise you will. Okay. So thank you guys so much for coming to the Better at Beach podcast. For the campers who were at the Postcard Inn in St. Pete Beach, you guys are awesome. It was such a great week. Uh, we can't wait to announce our next one. It should be sometime in the fall. We have a couple of camps coming up in Huntsville, Alabama and Westchester, New York. So if you're not signed up or you want to know where to sign up, go ahead to betterbeach.com forward slash clinics. And if you ever want to sign up for a camp, get on the waiting list, get on our email list, because we now know from talking to everybody that people are waiting the day we release our camps, the day we open them up for booking. They're waiting to get them up and we keep them in very limited space so that we can have a low coach to player ratio. I think coach to player ratio. Uh, we like our coaches to work with very few athletes that they can pay attention. Okay. So next time our camps go on, we expect them, we, we truly expect our camp to sell out in a day the next time we release one, which should be in the fall, but we'll see how it goes. Just make sure you're on our email list because we send it first to our members, then we send it to our our online members, then we send it to our email list, then and only then do we open it up to the general public. Okay, so if you're on that list first, you get first crack at it. And uh, you can sign up for anything that we have. And we have a free drill book waiting for you at betterbeach.com. Or if you don't want the drill book, you can just as easily just sign up for the camp waiting list and see you at the camp. Or I'll see you in Austin. Or I'll see you at the dino in Hawaii in a week and a half, which I'm about to head to. All right, guys, if you want to stay and chat, I'd love to answer some questions. I got about five minutes left here and uh, I'll hang out with you. Instagram, if you do have any questions, I want you to come on over to the Better at Beach, Volley, Better at Beach Volleyball YouTube channel or Volley Chat on Facebook and put in your questions in the chat box. And if I can answer any, then I am happy to. And I would love to hear questions about tournament prep, uh, energy conservation. And if you want to talk about the AVP and the qualifier and what it means to to be a pro in this sport right now, I'd love to field those questions too. All right, for those of you who are headed out, thanks for coming, and I'll see you on the sand. Diana Marquez, hello. Payne, C-O-D-M, hello. Thank you guys for stopping by. Uh, Diana says, Mark, I watch all of your videos. Super helpful. Thanks, Diana. Appreciate it, and I'm glad they're helpful. Uh, Adam Kindred, what do you think about letting already qualified teams play in the AVP next qualifiers, especially when it's single limb and they knock out teams who want to qualify. We discuss that a lot as players. What if current AVP teams, teams who are already going to the next pro event, should they be allowed to play in a qualifier? To me, I didn't mind it. It didn't bother me because across the board, nobody 
is making enough money from pro events in the US to give themselves more than a minimum wage. So for those players who are like, say you're like fifth in the AVP, you know, the fifth place, I think you're maybe splitting 7,000, 3,500. So if you get fifth place at every AVP, you know, seven stops, 2,100, maybe like $24,000 for a season for being the fifth ranked team in the country. If there's an opportunity for you to make, go and make more money playing volleyball, that's what you have to do. I don't mind that the higher ranked teams would come and do that. Like as it is, the qualifiers anyway, they can be luck of the draw. This tournament I did not like because in Panama City Beach, and this I thought was the stupidest thing ever, the everybody was ranked in the beginning and then we did international pool play, which means in the pools, seed one plays seed four and seed two plays seed three. If you win that match, you've already broken pool. Then the two winners will play against each other and the two losers. The winner of the losers gets to move on through pool play. But then here's how it gets seeded after that, by point differential. So you could be the number one seed in the tournament. You could win two matches, you know, um, 2-0, 2-0. And then because of the way that they resort it because of points for or points against, you could drop to like the 12 seed for playoffs and get it all mixed up and, and sort it out. So like that, the whole ranking, when you go into this, it really doesn't matter. Uh, they eradicated your old performances with that new point system. I hated it. In this one, it, it came it came very luck of the draw. Luck of the draw like played a huge part. When you're going into qualifiers anyway, you know, at some point you're going to line up against a great team, a team that's already been in the main draw a ton of times. So I, I really didn't mind it. A lot of people hated that some of the, the players who were already in the main could play in the qualifier. But for me, hey, they're able to come and like try to make a couple extra bucks uh, for playing volleyball, which we're not making much anyway. I didn't mind that, even though they might knock out a qualifier player that could beat the rest of the qualifier teams. Because on any given day, like the next week, the 12 spot and the 13 spot could switch. And so the, the team that you're going to line up against next time could have won, you know, a semifinal, could have, could have won a fifth place, a seventh place in an AVP. So that, that bubble area where you're trying to qualify, you're always playing against current, former, and future AVP teams anyway. So you got to figure out how to beat them and, and how to play that luck of the draw. And then over the long term, just keep plugging away. And you can't really show up to one qualifier and uh, consider it, you know, a long-term investment. Like sometimes you're going to have a tough draw or the wrong team and the wrong environment, um, or your partner's going to cramp. So Adam, to answer your question in a very long way, I didn't mind that they allowed the higher teams to come and play the lower tournaments. They determine if that's worth it for them or not. And you're going to run into them at some point, and that's pro volleyball. And if you're playing a qualifier, you're putting your money on the line saying, I'm good enough to be a pro, which means that you should have enough faith in yourself to go against the big dogs. That's my thoughts on that. But thanks for your question, Adam. Richard Grell, we did meet in PCB. Uh, it was so cool getting to meet you. So Richard, who is one of our online members and watches our stuff, watches our videos, and is on our email list, came up to me at a tournament and said hello. It was the first time we got to meet in person. It's so cool when that happens. Guys, at the end of tournaments, in the middle of tournaments, and yeah, but at the end of tournaments, when you guys come and you say hi to, to me and to Brandon, to the other Better at Beach coaches, we love it. It feels good um, to see a smiling face and to meet some new people. 
try not to hold on to us for conversations and pictures and stuff like that for too long. And especially if it's mid tournament, because we are trying to conserve our energy. But at the end of the day, you walk up with a, <laughs> with a, a beer or a banana, we'll love to take it. And we'll love to sit there and, and chat with you. So thank you guys so much for saying hi at those tournaments. It's, it's always a pleasure and uh, it feels pretty humbling. Uh, Tanya, how do you adjust to fluctuating weather going from city to city? I was not used to the high heat and humidity in Austin, and I was dying. Yeah. Tanya, mastermind behind our Better It Beach YouTube channel, just is hanging out in Austin. And it's if you've been in Southern California for a while, you have no idea what humidity is like. Your body has no idea what humidity is like. And listen, your body is going to feel a different way. Every single tournament, your body is going to react differently to whatever you ate, how much travel you had, how much sleep you had. It's up to you to be aware of it, but not hold on to it. You do have to know and you have to have the experience of how to conserve energy in ultra hot environments. Sometimes it's just exhausting. The heat literally messes with your thinking and your mind, and you have to find ways to keep your uh, internal body temperature down. So bags of ice help dousing the back of your neck with cold water, the top of your head with cold water, long sleeve Lightweight shirts actually keep you cooler than bare skin because when the sun beats down on you all day and you have skin exposed, your skin actually heats up. So if you wear long sleeve, very lightweight, some people think that that's hotter, but it actually protects you long term because your skin doesn't get as hot. And so it's easier to drop your, uh, your internal temperature a little bit more. So keep slow breathing rates. Be used to not doing all of those jogs and extra movements in between points and in between matches. This is where we talk about energy conservation, right? Find ways to shut it down quick, get out of the heat quick, get uh, out of people <laughs> and conversations quick. And if it's hot and humid, get a ton of ice, ice cold water and be drinking and fueling on a regular basis. But humidity is not easy to deal with. Uh, this year alone, we're going to have New Orleans and, and Austin, and we're going to have Fort Lauderdale and Atlanta in the middle of summer. It's going to be hell for a lot of players. And some people will succumb to it, and some people will figure out how to battle it. And, you know, your body might just not love it on that day, and that would stink. But you do everything you can to prepare for it, okay? I'm not saying that you should put yourself in a sweat box, but on like a super heavy hoodie and, and train under humidity and, and hot conditions that, that might end up getting dangerous. But learn to fuel, learn to hydrate, and, uh, and hopefully that helps. So, Tanya, hopefully that helps. Just find ways to conserve energy and stay out of the sun and cool yourself down. Okay, that's all the questions we have. So, guys, appreciate you. Uh, like answering your questions. And from now on, our podcasts are going to be on Wednesdays. So our live versions are going to be on Wednesdays. It's season time. We are prepping. We are busy. We're still running camps and clinics and something's got to go. We've preloaded a lot of the Monday and Wednesday. So from now on, our live versions are only going to happen on Wednesdays. Monday's not going to happen anymore. And that's just how we planned it. Just how I was telling you, figure out a way to preload your schedule so that you're ready when you need to be. And that's what we're doing here at Better at Beach with the podcast. So we will be live on Wednesdays, but no longer on Mondays until probably the fall, if we decide to pick that back up again. And we'll also do a bunch of interviews with uh, your favorite players and we will release them when we do, if we have time. Okay, that's all from me. 
Hope you guys are having a good one. I am flying to Hawaii tomorrow and I will be at the dino. So if any of you are going to the dino in Kauai, I will see you there in a little bit. And if you are in Honolulu in Hawaii, I could use some training partners. So let me know if you're there.